This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I usually have my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, my daughter here, but uh, she is out of town today. So I'll be interviewing uh, Rabbi Daniel Graper on my own. And we are going to talk today about a really important topic, which is friends as forgotten mourners. You know, Heidi's very interested in sibling loss because of the death of her brother and uh, my son. But we sometimes forget about friends. And uh, so this is a very interesting interview today. Uh, When Daniel Graber's best friend, Uh, Jay died at age 25. Daniel was moving on. He kept his faith, and he became a rabbi. After losing a second friend, he lost his faith and struggled to find his way back. In his book, Faith Unraveled, he writes of the profound pain experienced by friends. He's a rabbi of Bethel Synagogue in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the show today, Dr. I mean, should I call you Rabbi Graber? (laughs) Uh, Sure. That's great. Thank you. Welcome to our show today, Rabbi Graber. I was telling you before we started the show that this really came at a fortuitous time. I met Rabbi Graber. Uh, actually, we did a piece for the Huffington Post on grief and, and loss and recovery. And um, uh, so I met him there over the Internet, and he sent me uh, his book, Faith Unraveled, the manuscript to take a look at, well, as luck luck or strange uh, coincidence would have it. At the time, Heidi's very good friend and uh, whose son was in her daughter's class, eight years old, was hit by a taxi cab in New York City and killed. And not being of the Jewish faith, uh, this book was so helpful to Heidi to read about um, all the um, sitting Shiva and all the things that she would do with his family. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that today and also the loss of friends. So welcome to the show today. And um, Rabbi Graybar, talk about, in the Jewish community, I noticed uh, when I was reading your book, which is, by the way, very well written. You're a really very good writer. That's very interesting. Uh, You talk about the fact that in the Jewish faith, um, friends aren't really part of the grieving system, right? Well, they are and they're not. Um, They play the role... Uh, quite traditionally, as comforters. Their job is to, you know, bring food over to the home and to help make a minion, uh, which is a a quorum for a Jewish prayer service, and to be attentive to the needs of the family who are viewed as the primary mourners. So they're part of the process, but they are given a specific role, which is to be comforters, and yet they're experiencing a profound loss of their own. Well, I was uh, impressed with the book. I mean, uh, Jay was your friend for many years, and uh, and you saw him through an illness, right? He and I grew up together. Um, we used to play basketball in in, uh, in his driveway, and he actually had leukemia. Um, he had it in in middle school, and I didn't really know him then, and he went into remission, and I first met him in high school, and I think one of the things that he appreciated about our friendship was that I didn't know him as the leukemia boy. Um, I actually just sort of met him and liked him, and we struck up a friendship, and soon after we got to know each other, um, I found out that he had leukemia, and, uh, you know, he he came out of remission um, between high school and college, and 
um, and then came out of remission again when we were rooming together uh, at Northwestern University. So I saw him through through a lot of that. And you were kind of an all-American boy, uh, captain of the uh, what swimming team and uh, involved in all sorts of activities. So it wasn't like you were just a quiet guy. Uh, no, no, I, I, I probably don't have the usual uh, path to, to being a rabbi that, that most people imagine. I was a competitive swimmer, like you said. I was at Berkeley and then Northwestern on the swimming team. And uh, when we, when Jay and I were rooming together, you know, I think one of the things I appreciated was that he, you know, he wasn't on the swimming team and we were sort of able to come back to our apartment and, uh, and, and, and each focus on, you know, what we'd like to pet each other and, and take a little break from what occupied us on campus. So you were, um, how did you decide on this rabbi path? Did his death have anything to do with it? Um, it's it's an interesting question. I, you know, I think at the time I didn't necessarily connect the dots. Um, one of the things that that I, and and I had decided to go to rabbinical school um, actually uh, even before he before he died. Um, but I think his illness at a young age, um, you know, was something that forced me to think about the meaning of my life and to sort of take very seriously. Um, issues of life and death. And so, you know, I, what I didn't want to do was sort of wake up 20 years after graduating, you know, college and, and uh, you know, have a spouse and 2.5 children and a house in the suburbs and, and all that stuff and not know, you know, why I was alive or, or you know, what, what the purpose of my life was. And, and I took all of those questions uh, really seriously and decided to go and become a rabbi. So then you did that, and then you went through an experience of having uh, someone that you met at camp, right? Yeah, quite unbelievable. I mean, so so Jay passed away, um, and I had this experience of of uh, you know of mourning for him, um, but not really mourning for him. Um, you know, I, I went and provided comfort to his family, but you know, then just sort of tried to move on and. Years later, I would um, I was ordained and you know took over. I, I was running a Jewish summer camp, and became very good friends with another um, with someone named Joel, and he uh, he came down with leukemia, um, and wow, what a coincidence! Uh, was very sick and ended up he came down with leukemia in January uh, of 2007 and ended up uh, dying in November of 2007. So you felt with the first experience, you kind of understood, and then when it happens again, what happened to you? Well, you know, at that point, uh, I was in the role of of rabbi and um, had been, you know, sort of made this choice for my life um, for, for, you know, more than a decade at that point. And um, it was just very, very difficult. Uh, I did, you know, I, I again, you know, I was with Joel when he died and, um, you know, his, his wife and children, um, you know, were incredibly kind to me and, and we were, you know, as good friends as anybody could possibly be. Um, but there wasn't, you know, I was again cast into that role of being a comforter um, and didn't necessarily, you know, feel myself um, able to to mourn as um, you know, sort of a primary mourner, as someone who was experiencing such a loss. In the Jewish tradition, you know, the official mourners, it's a, um, uh, under Jewish law, are the the you know, if you lose your mother or father or your 
sister or brother or your spouse or a son or a daughter. And um, I didn't, you know, fit into that category, although Joel was not a, a blood brother. He was a, he was a brother of mine. Um, we were, you know, I th- the, the, one of the interesting pieces of this is that I think, you know, more and more Americans are raising their families in communities where their, you know, their blood siblings may live elsewhere. Right. And, Absolutely. Um, so if it used to be that your siblings lived in the same community with you and you, you know, you sort of went through the experience of fatherhood or motherhood together with your siblings, I think we now form close friendships with other people close to, you know, close to our age and we go through this, those experiences with them. We don't call them brothers and sisters, but they become that. And, and when Joel died, you know, that was my experience and it left me really wondering, um, with a lot of questions, you know, and, and I didn't feel like I had good answers about, um, about God and God's role in our suffering. And, and, uh, and I was the rabbi of a summer camp, not of a synagogue. And, and, you know, that sort of shielded me from, from certain types of questions that rabbis of synagogues are, are, are called upon to answer, um, on a much more regular basis. So it was, it was, a, it was a deep struggle for me. And how did you resolve that? Have you resolved it? And, you know, where is God in your mind? Um, you know, how did I resolve it? I can't say, you know, I don't think that these questions are ever fully resolved. Um, for me, the experience of going through a year of the Jewish tradition um, and continuing to be involved in um, in Jewish life, continuing to try to pray, continuing to observe the holidays, was the framework, um, and continuing to be part of the community that was doing those things, was the framework through which I was working out um, my questions about God. So, um, you know, when the holiday of, of Purim came along, Purim, you know, it takes place during the spring, and we read the book of Esther, um, which is this very interesting book in the Bible that seems to be, if you read it a second time after, you know, after you're, you're, you know, grown up, it seems to be pretty racy. Um, and, and, uh, and, and interestingly, God is not in the book. Um, it's the one book of the Bible where God is not. And, uh, when you observe, you know, the holiday of Purim, you, you know, you drink and you, you know, make merry sort of, you know, like, like Mardi Gras, but you also, it's a very, it's a very intense theme, which is you think about what do you do when you live in a world where God's presence is not um, is not perfectly clear, and maybe you know you contemplate what does it mean that God that God is absent from the world. Well, that year, you know, when I was mourning for Joel, um, my observance of Purim was um, you know did I did I uh, did I drink and and uh, have people over to our home? Yeah. Um, but that, you know, the observance of that became, um, this experience where I was wrestling with the possibility of God's absence. Um, and, and that happened to me, you know, throughout the year where I was, you know, continuing to struggle, um, with, with those questions. But what I can say is in, in Judaism, you know, faith isn't something you have. It's not like something you buy at a supermarket and, you know, once you get it, you, you know, you, uh, it's like a possession that can't be taken away. 
Um, faith is is a process. It's a returning over and over again. You know, I like that, and I th- I think that could be with all religions or with all religious thought that it, it is a process. And and I like the fact that you continue to struggle with it and move with it and and change over time. Now, I am thinking today uh, on this show, as far as grief uh, connected with friends. I'm hearing that one of the things that we can do today is to simply validate the fact that it is painful and there is a legitimate um, legitimacy to mourning a friend. What is your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the things that we need in our grief um, is is that acknowledgement. Um, you know, we need we need the space. Um, to do that, what, you know, the Jewish practice of of Shiva is to take seven days out of our lives after the burial, um, and to not go back to work and to not to, you know, throw ourselves back into regular life, but to to sit and to grieve, which which gives us acknowledgement. And I think, you know, when we, whether the, there's a framework of a religious tradition or not. Um, when we experience a loss, at, you know, of a friend, we need to give ourselves space and permission to mourn. Um, we shouldn't marginalize ourselves by saying, "Well, you know, I'm only a friend. I'm not. Um, I'm not a, you know, a, a family member." And I think we need to, you know, there is a question um, of how do we create communities, religious communities, and 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 uh, circles of of people who who can acknowledge. Um, the 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 real loss that friends experience when someone dies. You know, I think the internet has become an interesting place to do that. I know a friend of mine just died, and there was a lot of community around Facebook, and uh, people commenting there. And today, it's been probably a month since she died. I could go on Facebook today and say I really miss Darcy, and I would have probably 30 likes and people comment. So I think uh, the Internet has become an interesting place, maybe for friends as much as anybody to uh, get in community and validate. But uh, I also think that we don't want to lose contact with uh, that face-to-face contact and those hugs and kinds of things that we need on a personal level. Yeah, I mean, I I agree completely. I think that the Internet um, actually provides an incredible way for people to reunite um, and to... And to share stories, you know, the, um, the stories. I, I, for me, you know, I wrote my book not as a as a book of you know, here's lots of advice about how to do this. Um, C.S. Lewis once famously said that um, grief needs a history, not a map. And uh, and I think that you know, I don't know that there's a map for how to do all this, but but hearing people's histories, hearing people's stories. Um, is a is a tremendous way to know that you're that you're not alone. That while you grieve by yourself and individually, um, your experience you know has echoes in the experience of other people. And I think you know Facebook and the internet provide a way for people to share those stories that are of tremendous comfort to each other. But with all that said, you know there's nothing that takes the place of of being you know with other people and. I think, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, if, if you're in a community, maybe you're far away. Maybe you couldn't make it to the funeral. Maybe, you, you know, you're, you're not with, um, you know, with, with a bunch of people. Are there people who you can go visit? Um, and are there ways for people to get together um, and mourn in whatever, you know, community or city you 
find yourself in. Absolutely. Well, Rabbi Graybar, tell us how we get your book, and do you have something on the a place on the website where people can find you? Uh, the book, um, you can read about the book at uh, www.faithunravels.com, and that site is part of my own website, uh, Rabbi Graber, uh, R-A-B-B-I-G-R-E-Y-B-E-R.com. Um, you can also um, get the book at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and most booksellers, and it's available on Kindle and other, uh, other electronic readers as well. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, uh, Rabbi Graber, and for all the work that you do and uh, for all the help that you give, and particularly I like the idea of validating these losses of our friends. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.